Welcome back to Sanity. I'm Shane Gordon. Happy Monday. This episode may be a bit long because, oh boy, was it a weekend with an explosion of misinformation and fear-mongering spread by the left. Let's talk about it. Michael Knowles, a personality at the Daily Wire, spoke at the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, this weekend, and the internet went crazy. Have a listen to Michael. There can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. If transgenderism is true, if men really can become women, then it's true for everybody of all ages. If transgenderism is false, as it is, if men really can't become women, as they cannot, then it's false for everybody too. And if it's false, then we should not indulge it, especially since that indulgence requires taking away the rights and customs of so many people. If it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level. Before we get into this, let's talk briefly about my worldview because it's important to understand as a baseline for this podcast. I was raised a Republican. I remember going on family trips with nothing but Rush Limbaugh playing on the radio during our drives. Since moving out for college and then moving around with the Navy, I've gained a lot of experience and perspective on different aspects of our culture and society. Many of my beliefs have shifted left. For instance, I see immense value in social programs and government-funded projects. I think a lot of programs are broken, but that doesn't mean the ideas are bad. It's the execution of the ideas. I believe anyone working any job should be able to make a living wage. That's how our country used to be. There's no reason it can't be like that again. I also still hold many of my childhood beliefs. For example, I reject progress simply for progress's sake. We don't need to continually change things and alter things. I agree with swift and harsh punishment. I believe in the value of a shared social morality that necessarily tells people, at times, what they want or believe is wrong. And I believe upholding that morality over time is crucial. Otherwise, society will always drift towards less accountability and more acceptance of what is wrong. There's also a lot I'm undecided on. For instance, the wealth gap is real. I don't know how to fix it. Handouts don't work, but neither does trickle-down economics. So I am constantly taking in different viewpoints and refining my beliefs. That is what we should all do as members of a society. No person has all the right answers. And some of you out there will be able to relate to me on this. I crave having correct information. Realizing I'm wrong is always humbling, but I would rather have the right information than close my mind off to facts and truth. And finally, my wife has taught me that everyone deserves love and respect. People shouldn't have to earn that from me. Someone definitely can lose my respect, not my love though. But I offer my respect without asking anyone to prove they deserve it or are worthy of it. My life is also defined by my religious beliefs. My morals are unchanging and unchangeable. 
There's a standard that was set for me, and I'm constantly working to bring myself more in line with that standard. I talk more about defining right from wrong in episode 5 if you want to take a deeper dive into that topic. All of this was to say that many of the current heated topics in our culture revolve around shifts in our cultural morality. So oftentimes, it may seem like I'm a hardcore Republican who will never accept any other way of life. But that is far from the truth. For example, I discussed abortion in episode 2 and LGBTQIA plus suicide in episode 3. Regarding both topics, I think Republicans and conservatives as a whole get a lot wrong. When we get to discussing social welfare on the podcast, you'll see I almost always side with Democrats because I believe in a society that takes care of its people. I know some of you will get heated and may turn off this podcast with what I'm about to say, but I implore you to listen and message me through Facebook or Instagram if you think you can provide me with information that can change my opinion. Remember, I would rather have the right info than dig in my heels, and I really do mean that. Okay, when it comes to the portion of Michael's speech we just heard, I believe conservatives are 100% correct and progressives are 100% wrong on the topic. Let's start by looking at the headlines and a couple tweets from this weekend. From Rolling Stone, CPAC speaker calls for eradication of transgenderism and somehow claims he's not calling for elimination of transgender people. From the Huffington Post, CPAC speakers' trans comments about eradication sound downright genocidal. The Daily Beast originally put out, Michael Knowles says transgender community must be eradicated at CPAC. They later changed it to read, Michael Knowles says transgenderism must be eradicated at CPAC but with a tag right below it saying, this is genocidal. In fact, most headlines originally read that he called for eradication of transgender people. A lot of them seem to have updated the headlines to the truth that he called for the eradication of transgenderism. Now for some tweets. Scott Weiner, a California state senator, said, and he's quoting Michael at the beginning here, Transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. Now, these are his words. These words are in a speech by a major right-wing figure at a national conservative conference. It's a straight-up call for genocide. That's what this fight is about. They want us gone. Brandon Friedman says, Transgenderism must be eradicated from public life versus transgender people must be eradicated is a meaningless distinction to the historically literate. Nazis very specifically began excluding German Jews from public life years before the first extermination camps. And one last one from Bryn Tannehall. She writes, If Knowles had said, For the good of society, Judaism must be eradicated from public life, and then followed it up with, I just meant Judaism, not Jews. I don't think the ADL, and that's the Anti-Defamation League, would respond with, oh, well, never mind in that case, carry on. It means what you think it means. So obviously everyone jumped to say that Michael Knowles was advocating for hunting down and murdering trans people. And because they're saying it often and loudly, it must be right. 
They don't need to offer any actual facts or truth to back up their outrageous claims. They just need to scare their audience. And if you look through the replies to tweets, and I've read hundreds, you don't have to, they say one of two things. First, transgenderism doesn't exist because it is not an ideology. It is a way of being. Or second, you would have to kill all transgender people to eradicate transgenderism, so that's obviously what he meant, or some version of those. There are a few very obvious problems with these conclusions, so let's break it down in reverse order. First, you can easily eradicate an idea without eradicating the people. I'll give you one example. We no longer celebrate strong, faithful relationships. Our culture does not praise couples who have been together through tough times. Instead, we praise the individual for getting out of a tough situation. We definitely don't celebrate monogamy and abstinence. Instead, we celebrate body count, self-indulgence, and self-gratification. No couples were killed in order to make the shift in ideology. Instead, we were sold a lie. Specifically, women were sold two lies. The first is that the epitome of womanhood is strength and independence. To rely on a man is weak. It makes you dependent on and vulnerable to him. Women are now putting career ambitions before relationships, marriage, and children. The second lie is that women gain power through sexual freedom and expression. What a load of BS. By being more sexual, a woman does not gain power over or independence from a man. Sex before marriage allows him all the benefits of a committed relationship without any real commitment. He knows that if things get tough, he can walk away and find another woman to meet his needs. Also, we know that sex creates emotional connections. It is the most intimate thing you can do, both physically and emotionally, with another person. So in an attempt to gain power, a woman just becomes more emotionally vulnerable by being sexual. I'm not making any statements here regarding a woman's role in society. I'm simply demonstrating that the idea of family has been systematically destroyed and no couples or families had to be killed. It is very possible to eradicate an idea without eradicating the people. Now the tougher issue for a lot of progressives to understand. Transgenderism does indeed exist and it is not a state of being. Transgenderism simply means a transgender ideology. So what is an ideology? Great question. I'm glad you asked. The relevant definition from Oxford Dictionary is the ideas and manner of thinking characteristic of a group, social class, or individual. So transgenderism is the ideas and manner of thinking characteristic to transgender people. More clearly, transgenderism is the idea that one can be born into the wrong body and, through drugs, surgery, or both, Correct the body to be more in line with the true self. This entire ideology rides on the understanding that sex and gender are different. Now, admittedly, I'm not really sure how advocates for transgenderism would define the difference between sex and gender because they often conflate the two and use definitions interchangeably. For instance, Zaya Wade was just granted an official name change and can legally change sex markers to female. Zaya is purportedly a trans woman, but Zaya is not a male trans woman, rather now a female trans woman. This would indicate that Zaya is a trans female 
and isn't transgender, but is transsex, or both, or maybe something else. See how it gets confusing? Regardless, the ideology requires that sex and gender be separate. This is mentioned time and time again by the media and influencers and was brought up by numerous people in replies on Twitter. But there's a problem with this belief. Science cannot prove or disprove gender. The pro-trans movement usually says someone knows or feels like a different gender. What they are trying to describe without using the word is their soul is a different gender and doesn't match their body's sex. Whether you believe in the soul or not, what they are describing isn't something that can be measured or studied by science. Sure, you can look at brain scans and talk about areas that light up, but any scientist worth listening to has to admit that there are aspects of existence that are apart from the physical world and therefore outside the scope of science. That is why philosophy exists. Whereas science examines a physical world, philosophy examines the non-physical world. You would use philosophy, for example, to discuss the soul. If a soul exists, it cannot be interacted with or measured, so science shouldn't even be brought into the discussion. So on the idea that gender and sex are separate, no one has been able to bring forward legitimate philosophical logic to prove that is the case. You may be wondering if I'm going to give you a philosophical argument showing that gender and sex are immutably linked. I am not. It is not on those of us who believe what man has believed for all time to be true to defend that position. The burden of proof lies with those who make outlandish claims and want to restructure society. Just because you claim it to be true does not make it so. So immediately we see that transgenderism does indeed exist as purely an ideology and not a state of being. Without a proof that gender is separate from sex and can change, we cannot claim that transgender people exist. We have to frame the entire conversation around an ism, an ideology. Whoa, Shane, did you just say that we can't claim transgender people exist? Yes. Yes, I did. Let me explain. This may sound weird, but if a group of people said they were actually aliens, we could not claim they really are aliens before they provide proof. Until then, we can refer to an ideology that entertains they might be aliens. We can respect and love them regardless of whether or not we believe them, but we can't call them aliens just yet. Similarly, there is so much unknown by pro-trans activists, and I specifically say pro-trans activists because the rest of us know there are only two genders and that they are bound to the sexes. Anyway, there is so much unknown by pro-trans activists that they cannot claim trans people are real no matter how often or loudly they say it or how badly they want it to be true. I am willing to entertain the idea of transgenderism while they work on proving trans people are indeed real, but until then, no one is under any obligation to believe them. But let's continue discussing what's wrong with the attacks on Michael and why I'm defending him. I've discussed this topic a little before, back in episode 3, so I won't go into too much detail here, but there are a few facts about transgenderism and gender-affirming care you should know. There is mounting evidence that the majority of gender dysphoric youth have some other cognitive or mental condition such as neurodivergence or depression. In almost every case, 
Those conditions have been ignored in pursuit of gender-affirming care. Also, there is growing evidence that most gender dysphoric youth, in fact, nearly 85%, grow out of it without any additional psychiatric care. Many cases of gender dysphoria involve past trauma, abuse, or neglect. Now, I'm afraid to say never because I dislike absolutes, but I could not find an example of a well-adjusted individual without any other mental conditions or previous trauma who is diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Finally, there is a lot of money in gender-affirming care. I mean, a lot. Bottom surgeries can cost $25,000. Top surgeries can cost five dollars to $10,000. Facial reconstruction can cost up to $70,000. Hormone therapy can be up to $2,000 annually. I'm not saying all doctors just want money, but resource allocation for research and facility space at medical centers is driven by the profitability of each department or practice. Now, I want to talk more about the lack of mental health help these people are getting. As I mentioned, Almost every person diagnosed with gender dysphoria has some other mental health condition that goes unaddressed. This is a big problem and a huge red flag. If someone is depressed and has gender dysphoria, it's easy to say that gender-affirming care will solve the depression. That's a huge leap to make when there are non-permanent treatments like counseling and medication that can be tried first. No matter how much or little gender-affirming treatment a person gets, there will be long-term side effects. Now, imagine a child isn't suffering from depression, but is one of the nearly 34% of gender dysphoric children who also has autism. Autism is a known condition that affects the way a person thinks, feels, and perceives the world. I have had someone argue with me on Twitter that because they are autistic, they are not stuck in the normal thinking of society and can, therefore, accept gender transitioning easier than others. This is such a gross and delusional viewpoint. If you spent any time with someone who is autistic and you think they are capable of consenting to gender-affirming care, I want to hear from you. I want to understand how you can be confident they know what's best for them. I've been able to spend time with a few autistic adults and children at different places on the spectrum, and I just don't understand how they would be able to consent. Overall, though, How is it that we neglect other mental illness and choose to treat the gender dysphoria first? It is quite literally possible for a minor to get a letter of referral for gender-affirming medical care after sitting with a counselor for as little as 30 minutes, and those appointments are often free. Now, admittedly, that is an extreme, but I did talk to one counselor in Florida who said if someone who wasn't a patient came to her to seek a letter... She would probably want to spend a couple sessions with the individual first. That would equate to probably three or four hours before she's willing to recommend that person get hormone or surgical treatment. No mental health issue can be solved in that amount of time. Often conditions aren't even fully defined until a patient spends more time than that with a counselor. Why aren't we addressing the other issues? The cynic in me blames two things, money and pop culture. Like I said, There is a lot of money in it for people. But also, this is what popular culture wants right now. It's no secret that the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is used by mental health professionals, changes based on societal pressures and mental health providers can get caught up in the illness of the day. 
It was during the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s that homosexuality was removed from the DSM. No great psychiatric discovery happened, but society no longer wanted to view homosexuality as a mental illness. And for those who grew up in the 80s and 90s, it seemed like everyone was being diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. Right now, it is a cultural faux pas and possible career suicide to tell anyone their gender dysphoria is attributed to something else and they are indeed in the correct body. And sadly, when it comes to children, parents actually earn cultural brownie points if they have a gender dysphoric child. It used to be that the brownie points were earned for gay, lesbian, and bisexual children. But everyone has one of those now. But having a trans kid really sets a parent up on a pedestal. Don't believe me? Facebook is full of parents asking how to get their child to keep taking hormones even when the child no longer wants to. The easiest place to find these is actually on Reddit because most of those groups are locked, but people do take screenshots of the conversations and post them to Reddit. You can also look at the number of videos and articles admiring parents who have children as young as 18 months socially transitioning. Those kids can't even talk. Again, that's an extreme, but there are a very rapidly growing number of parents of toddlers and preschoolers taking to the internet to tell the world about their trans child. This is simply disgusting. Our society cannot celebrate people like these parents or the people who support them. But let's come all the way back to the specific topic at hand, Michael Knowles. As I said up front, Michael is correct. Transgenderism is indeed an ideology and is indeed wrong. The evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of gender dysphoria being a mental illness that's associated with other mental, emotional, or physical conditions. The truly helpful and loving thing is not to affirm their gender delusions. The truly helpful and loving thing is to help these people deal with whatever is going on in their lives and accept themselves for the wonderful, beautiful people they are. Transgenderism, the idea that people are born in the wrong body and by mutilating their body improve their long-term mental health, does indeed need to be eradicated. This is the only sane course of action. And before you mention studies showing that physically transitioning improves mental health, I'll just point out that long-term studies do not exist, and they never will. Just like the doctors will tell you that detransitioning doesn't happen when it clearly does. Just take a look at the detrans subreddit. They say it isn't a thing simply because they don't treat it. My dad went to one of the best cancer hospitals in the country. It became obvious that the cancer was not going away. The hospital dropped him as a patient even though there were more treatments they could try. He does not count as an unsuccessful patient for their data. Medical administrators are too often cold, callous, and driven by money. As long as there is money to be made in gender-affirming care, all the data that gets widely spread by hospitals and media will say the care solves all the problems and the downsides are insignificant. If someone does indeed come up with a better argument than They feel how they feel and are who they are and you can't tell them what to do with their bodies because they aren't hurting anyone, you MAGA, fascist, Nazi, shallow-minded, secretly gay bigot. Please show me. Show me the philosophical proof that gender is a mutable social construct separate from sex, but also that people need to make their sex match their gender as much as possible, but just ignore that last part because that would indicate that sex and gender are really two sides of the same coin. 
<sighs> Abruptly changing topics, as a general aside, don't try to gain social justice golden stars for pretending to be offended on behalf of a marginalized group. That is not how empathy works. Empathy does not mean that you are somehow even more impacted by the bigotry, and I say bigotry in air quotes, than the actual person a comment or opinion is directed at. The vast majority of people cosmically offended and who absolutely refuse to have a good faith discussion regarding transgenderism are not transgender. They're simply using the transgender plight, again, air quotes, for their personal gain. Okay, that is all I want to say about that for today. Thank you for hanging out with me on this longer episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow, rate, and review. These actions are the best ways to get sanity in front of new listeners. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Sanity.